Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matišar, and I work as the Deputy Head of Forehand Desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. Could Russia try to stage a queue in Moldova? How probable is it? Is Moldova's government ready for such a scenario? And what about the problem of Transnistria? About the current developments in Moldova, I talked to Denis Cenusha. He's an associate expert at the Eastern Europe Studies Center in Vilnius. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. In your recent article titled Moldova, how likely is the threat of subversive Russian action in 2023 for the Lithuanian think tank Eastern Europe Studies Center, you wrote that there are two main obstacles for Russian to implement subversive plans in Moldova. So let's look at those obstacles. First, as you said, from an operational point of view, the ruling party in Moldova has a solid majority in parliament, 63 out of 101 seats, which means it will be difficult to overthrow the government. But Moldova has hardly been a synonym for political stability. Is this majority really solid with no visible cracks? I think your question points to some uncertainties related to how solid is the party, the parliamentary faction of the Action on Solidarity Party, which is the ruling party in Moldova. Because we have been noticing some disputes regarding the government, the previous government. And that's one of the reasons why the previous government was not removed uh, sooner or earlier. There are certain issues within the party that are not still fully developed in sense that we see which are the camps, whether there are groups, how large are the groups, whether we deal with two groups or more. But we know that there are different point of views and different styles of governing in the heads of those who form the faction of the ruling party in the parliament. So this issue is real, but we don't have a lot of information about that because the party is interested in creating the impression that they have no cracks and then that they can basically deliver what they promised without a political crisis. I agree that there are different uh, views on certain issues. For instance, if we take the security, then we have a group of MPs who can be called hawkish in terms of uh, how to deal with the Transnistrian region. What do they want? They see or they would like to implement more strict or stricter policies with regard to this region. And right now, we can see that their point of view is uh, becoming a mainstream within the faction. The result of that is the decision to actually introduce the punishment of the separatism in the penal code, which is something that has been adopted recently. So we can see that some groups managed to introduce certain policies, and let's say they're not coming from the majority within the party. There are some groups that are promoting certain policies, and then we are probably seeing the results when the right circumstances are are coming to life. So now, because there is a lot of uncertainty about the risks coming from the Transnistrian region, 
they managed, the hawkish MPs managed to basically make the rules or the punishment much more prominent for the, those who promote separatism than it was before. Dennis, secondly, you wrote that there are considerable obstacles to the preparation phase. But can Moldova's government really believe that its intelligence services and special forces will protect the state, or is it somewhat doubtful? President Maya Sandu said that the plot would involve diversionists with military training, camouflage in civilian clauses, who will undertake violent actions, attack some state buildings, and even take hostages. It sounds pretty serious. Yeah, the scenario that she has described, of course, sounds very like apocalyptic for Moldovan realities, because we had, the last time we had very serious public order crisis, it was in 2007, when several, at least a presidential office and the parliamentary were basically vandalized and even burned. Certain floors were simply destroyed by the protesters who obviously were not peaceful protesters. So we have seen infiltrated people who wanted the peaceful protest to derail into to something violent. So probably this memory are still fresh for, for certain politicians in Moldova. At least I hope so, because otherwise I would not see any point to raise this issue of state buildings being attacked by, by certain groups of people. But again, we are dealing with the country, Moldova, which is in a state of emergency for more than one year. And we know that the state institutions are basically prepared mentally and uh, operationally to deal with such issues. I recall drills organized by special forces or by special forces of the Ministry for Internal Affairs in Gagauzia, including in Gagauzia, where was the, let's say, where was initially supposed to be the epicenter of the future mass protests that would, uh, for instance, lead to the overthrowing of, of the government. So we have seen a lot of actions that were implemented by the government until this day. And therefore, I don't see how this groups of, of Russian citizens or those coming from Serbia or Macedon- and Macedonia would be successfully implementing any subversive actions unless, I don't know, something really bad happens within the state institutions and they simply overlooked certain risks or areas where they cannot simply prevent the materialization of certain threats coming from Russia. In general, what are the main tools Russia is using to influence the situation in Moldova? Mr. Shor's party? And what are the main goals Moscow would like to achieve? Well, I think that Russia has been trying to weaponize energy in order to provoke anti-governmental protests and sentiments, sentiments in the society, and then making them easier to manipulate so that the pro-Russian political forces can use them in order to basically put pressure on the government. So that was the initial goal of Russia. It didn't work uh, out at all. So with the support of the external partners, Moldova has managed to solve some pressing issues related to the energy security and the supply of gas. So now what they will try probably to do is obviously using uh, the disinformation that is still uh, visible in Moldova, but not to the extent that we can assume 
sometimes reading about how influential is, is Russia. Again, the government has been implementing measures in order to uh, protect the media space in Moldova against the disinformation or propaganda that, that is coming, still is coming from, from Russia. So there are still ways of Russia to introduce or to induce a certain mood in the poorest parts or segments of the society so that those people can start protests. So in, in reality, I think that right now, the long-term strategy of Russia is actually to rather help the pro-Russian political parties to get to power through legal means, through elections. And the first election that will be a test for the government will be the local elections in the fall. I think that this is actually, in my view, the most feasible way of Russia to really break through in Moldova and try to actually be back in, in the politics, because no, right now they don't have any political party that is really uh, deciding anything significant in Moldova. But how could Moscow achieve this? By spreading more disinfo and by supplying the pro-Russian political forces in Moldova with money? No, I think that the political parties that are leaning towards Russia, they have financial resources. And if we speak about short party, then obviously they, they have... They have um, tucked their offshore accounts, bank accounts with money, and they may even use cryptocurrency in order to support their activities in Moldova. So they also have some parties like socialists, they also have the legal means because they receive money from the public budget based on the results of the elections. They are not poor in the sense that they have resources. The point that, that, that I would like to make is probably about their credibility. So this is their say, the weak spot because they have been discredited by their closeness or very close relations with Russia. So now they try to use the delegitimization of the ruling party because of the social economic situation which is an objective reality. Some people are in a crisis in the sense of living costs are very high, so they are really poorer than they were two years ago. This is a real fact. So now, because the government is so unpopular or less popular, the other parties, pro-Russian parties, can use that in order to basically prove their image, their political image, become more popular and use that capital in the elections that uh, will take place in Moldova this year, local elections, and then presidential and parliamentary elections in the following two years. Of course, all of this is happening in the framework of the Russian aggression against Ukraine. We have been hearing this from the beginning of the big invasion, that Russia could try to use forces in Transnistria to launch some attacks against Ukraine. Honestly, I have been all the time quite skeptical about this scenario. What's your view on this? I have been pointing to this risk because we cannot ignore it. So it's important to take into account all sources of risk that Moldova is dealing with. And of course, the Transnistrian region is one of the biggest zone of risk because we have lack of control, like no control over that region. We don't know what exactly they are planning, but we know very well that Russia is holding the grip in the region. So they know exactly how the region should be used at what point. But again, the results on the battleground of Ukrainian forces made the use of transition region rather riskier for Russia than actually reasonable. 
because they understand very well that if uh, Transnistrian region is used, then Ukraine, without even asking for permission from Moldova, could actually annihilate the threats coming from the region. Because obviously they understand very well that an instability of Moldova is also a threat for Ukraine, a matter of national security for Ukraine. So that is why Zelensky made the statements in Brussels about the situation in Moldova. And Moldova is particularly important for Ukraine, including for situation uh, regarding the humanitarian issues, the refugees, Ukrainian refugees, but also the supply chains towards Ukraine. I think that Transnistrian region is rather in a very uncomfortable uh, position. The political and economic elites of the separatist region try to rather have a dialogue than to be in, at, at odds with the Moldovan side. Of course, they don't like what is happening in Chisinau because that is weakening their position, their negotiating position or their blackmailing position. And now they depend very much on Moldova more than, than ever in the three decades since the crisis has appeared. And I don't think that you're right. I don't think that the, the risks are very high, but they exist. So we speak about the likelihood. Obviously, Russia could use the forces it has in the region if the conditions on the ground in Chisinau make it useful. So if we have, for instance, let's draw this scenario. If we have anti-governmental protests in Chisinau and the pro-Russian forces are strong enough to actually convince the population to follow their lead, then of course... I don't exclude that uh, special forces from the Transnistrian region could help the pro-Russian forces to actually use the anti-governmental protest in order to overthrow the government. But we know we don't have anti-governmental protests which are supported by the population in Chisinau. So there are people who are transported from the regions to Chisinau to protest. So there are different variables that are not matching. So the puzzle cannot really be made. Therefore, for me, this is a rather a lower, moderate to lower likelihood risk for Moldova coming from the Transnistrian region than the highest one. So, Dennis, what's next for Moldova in a political sense? All the info about Russia's meddling in Moldova's affairs came amid Prime Minister Natalia Gavrilica announcing her resignation. Are these issues somehow connected or more or less separate or how you see that? Well, I think that it coincides somehow. They start to correlate now, but they don't have any causality, in my view, at least. Knowing from November that it was already uh, decided to change the government, it was just a matter how to prepare this to happen. Probably took a lot of discussions within the party, how to make it acceptable for Gavrilica, because she wanted to leave on good terms. So she didn't want to be a result of a crisis or a conflict between the two institutions because that was the initial impression that Maya Sandu and her inner circle would like to get rid of Gabrielita because of uh, some deficiencies of her management, you know, of the cabinet. And that was something that she wanted to avoid. So now the revealings that were made by the Ukrainian side somehow helps the I mean, help the government to do that in a nicer way. So to have the transition from Gavrilica to Rechan in a context which, which makes sense to all of us. So the issues of security uh, are very important. Rechan is a person who is deemed to be more, let's say, straightforward, strong hand than Gavrilica. So he is a better suit for the current situation in which Moldova is to be running the cabinet. 
So I think that now they try to use these circumstances related to, to the information about the potential subversive actions conducted by Russia in order to prepare the population for a new government, which will probably point more to, to the security uh, issues than to others. And uh, also probably will ask more, let's say, more concessions from the side of the public in order to implement more actions that will be questionable, that will be related to restricting certain free freedoms, giving more powers to the special services and the law enforcement agencies in general. So now they are trying to frame the new or the importance of, of significance of the new government through the lens of the risks that Russia poses to Moldovan national security. One last thing. On the scale from 1 to 10, when 10 is Russia will definitely do this, what is the probability that Russia might try to stage a coup or try to overthrow the Moldova's government? Well, I think that I would rather put it uh, like around 5 or below five, again, given the circumstances that we have already discussed through your previous questions, Moldova is not as vulnerable as it was last year. So last year was a, a, a crucial one for Moldovan state institutions to prove to prove us wrong that they can be that they can be defeated by the hybrid warfare of Russia. I think that this we have more clarity about the capacities of the state institutions. We have already tested some of the new capacities. We know very well that the Western partners are giving a lot of support, political, but also practical or uh, material support to Moldova in order to, to make the resilience of the country more solid and more sustainable in a, in a longer term. So all these elements, in a way, help us to put the risks coming from or the materialization of the risks coming from Russia below or around five or below five. Then, for instance, eight or nine, like it was in the previous years, 2021, but most of all 2022 because of the situation in Ukraine. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also the description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.